we're going to talk this morning about um, something very beautiful that was done for the Lord. The woman who uh, poured perfume on Jesus as an act of worship just a couple of days before he would go to the cross. And Mary uh, did this as an offering to God. So what can we offer God? Well, the writer of the Hebrews says this, our constant sacrifice to God should be the praise of lips that give thanks to his name. What are you thankful for? We have so much to be thankful for. At the top of the list is Jesus and what he's done for us, dying for us on the cross. Well, I invite you to take your little communion cup that you have and peel back that top part. And let me just read this for us. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it and then broke it and said, this is my body which is given you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's do that right now. Let's pray and thank God for his body. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you went through of giving your body that physically you were up on the cross dying for us, God the Son, sacrificing his life for us so that we could become the body of Christ, so that we could live out on earth what, what you came to live, that we could continue that. And so, Father, we thank you for the suffering that you went through for us we wonder why there's so much suffering in the world. Well, at least you took your own medicine. You went through suffering as well. And so, Lord, we eat this bread now in remembrance of you, in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, we thank you for your blood shed for us. We're part of a blood economy and we know that without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sin. And so we thank you that Jesus is the Passover lamb who died once and for all for us so that we could have life in him, eternal life, abundant life. And so in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed, Jesus said, with his own blood. Do this, Jesus said, in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's go ahead and peel back that and drink it. And I invite you to take your worship folder and on the back of your worship folder are some prayer requests and we're gonna bring those to the Lord now. Dear Heavenly Father, we worship you and we praise you for your grace 
the grace of God, where would we be without the grace of God? We adore you, Lord. Awesome is the Lord and worthy to be praised. And so, Lord, we confess before you our our sins. We thank you that you are faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, thank you for being our God, for hearing our prayers this morning. You said to cast all of our cares on you because you care for us. And we have folks, some of them here this morning with us who need a healing touch from you. They're hurting, Lord, maybe physically, maybe spiritually, maybe emotionally, maybe mentally, maybe relationally. And I pray, Father, that you would Touch them with your healing hands. That you would supernaturally, by the power of your Holy Spirit, meet every need that is sitting in this sanctuary this morning. Father, we want to pray specifically for some of the folks on the top of that list who have some very um, severe issues going on for Ian Sarakoff and Jim Carpenter, for John Mitchell and Norma Miller, and for Lee Kane and Alva Rapp, for Hal Throckmorton and Charles Nelson and Isaac Grimaldo. Father, I want to pray especially this morning for those who are grieving, who've lost family members, loved ones recently even. Will you be their strength? Will you be their hope? Father, we thank you for the pastoral staff. We want to pray for Pastor Zach and the youth who are on the youth retreat right now and coming back uh, in just a little while. We pray that you'd give them safety as they travel. Um, We also lift up Susan and thank you for her and Nathan and Eloy. Father, we're so grateful to have uh, missionaries all around the world as an extension of our body from right here. And so we wanna, um, we wanna pray, especially right now for our missionary candidates, for Philip and, and, and Zara, for Claire, as they uh, make preparations to go and reach another unreached people group. How exciting this is, Lord, that they're, uh, they're in this pipeline to, to want to go and to join uh, our other missionaries who are all around the world. And we wanna... Um, have on our heart what's on your heart, Lord. You said you, you so love the world. And so as we pray for the countries of the world, we pray for the country of Belize this morning, and we pray for revival and spiritual conviction for the church, that the nominalism that's in the church would be, would be shattered by the reality of Christ. We pray, Father, that there would be doctrinally sound training programs that would educate and help train pastors and spiritual leaders in this country and, and those who are in that country and caring for those suffering from AIDS in particular and HIV, that there would be some good education for them and be able to care for them. Father, again, we are, are so thankful for all of our missionaries, but this morning we want to remember Matt and Kim and their work uh, in North Africa. And we pray that you would give them while they're here on home assignment, uh, good opportunities to connect with their family and friends. 
Uh, thank you that they've been here and been a part of our church during this time. And, and I know that many have been already blessed by just having conversations with them. And, and so we, we commit Matt and Kim to you. We pray that as they consider uh, new potential teammates, that you would give them wisdom to make good decisions about whether they are, uh, these other folks are a good fit for the team that they have. And we pray for the rest of the team as they're some of them coming to the close of language learning, Father, that they would be able to uh, be in a place where they would feel comfortable sharing the good news of Jesus in a second, even a third language. And so, Father, that uh, your Holy Spirit would, would bring relationships about that, uh, with people who need to hear about you. And Father, I thank you so much for the generosity of your people right here at Claremont Emanuel. And I pray that you would use uh, the, the monies that are given this morning to further your kingdom right here in San Diego and Bay Park and around the world through our missionaries. So Lord, we commit all these things to you now in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles. I hope you have your Bible with you. And uh, if you don't, you can find one on your phone, I'm sure. And turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We're coming down to the last three chapters of the Gospel of Mark. We're looking at the final uh, week in the life of Jesus. And um, so that's kind of where we're at and what we're the story that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. I I read recently about a a guy named John Gilbert. Uh, John at the age of five, was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. And that eventually claimed his life at the age of 25. Um, But every year, it seemed like as he was growing up, he lost something. Uh, One year, he lost the ability to be able to run. So he couldn't play sports with the other kids. And then he he lost the ability to walk straight. And uh, so all he could do is watch the others play. He lost the ability to do all the outward things that we think of that makes somebody human. And uh, it was pretty discouraging for him. Students would humiliate him. You know what junior high kids can be like. They can be pretty mean sometimes. They were pretty mean to to him, to John. Um, But he also had some other moments in his life too that one time he went to a, a sports memorabilia auction and uh, he was real excited to be honored as a guest and they made him feel really special. And he didn't have any money. He came from kind of a poor family and didn't have any money to be able to bid on anything. But uh, he saw a basketball that came up for bid with his favorite sports team, the Sacramento Kings basketball team. And all the players had signed this basketball. And, and uh, when, they, when the bidding start, he, he started to kind of real hard, raised his hand, and his mom put it down right away and said, we don't have any money to be able to to bid on it. Uh, But the bidding started going back and forth, different people bidding on this basketball. And um, and, and they were hundreds and even thousands of dollars for something way beyond the value of what even the signed basketball was. And then finally, some guy took a leap and and bid some enormous amount for the basketball. And... uh, and he got it. This man who won the basketball, won the bid for the basketball, went up and picked up the ball and uh, walked right over to John and gave it to John. 
And uh, somebody who was present wrote this. They said, um, going up, I remember hearing all the gasps as this man walked to the front of the room and then hearing thunderous applause and seeing weepy eyes. And to this day, I'm amazed at that gesture of kindness. So have you ever been given a gift that was beyond what you could afford and you knew that? You know, I was thinking maybe, maybe have you ever given a gift like that? And maybe if you gave a gift like that, you can't even think of it because you were overwhelmed uh, with love for that person and motivated out of love and you weren't even thinking about the price and what it really would cost you to give a, a special gift to someone else that was maybe beyond even your means to afford really. Maybe uh, we need to stop and ask, first of all, in this situation, in this account, why is Jesus worthy of our praise? And there's so many things we could talk about of why he is worthy of our praise. Jesus is God the Son who's come to earth to redeem us. He is the Lamb of God. Think about that. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away your sin. We become so burdened down with our sin, but he takes it away. He is the bread of life. He, we all have this spiritual hunger that deep down, sometimes we don't even recognize what it is until we come to faith in Christ and then we go, wow, this is what I was hungering for all the time. I didn't even realize it. But the only thing that can satisfy your hunger is Jesus because he's the bread of life. Jesus is the light of the world. You know, I've talked to people who have lost hope. Man, there is nothing sadder than someone who has lost hope. But because he is the light of the world, he gives us hope that without him we can't have. He is the hope of the world. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who pursues us when we're lost. We were all lost. And he goes after, and he's the shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep and he finds us and he brings us to himself. I like the way C.S. Lewis described it. He said, Jesus is like the hound of heaven. He is after you. He is pursuing you. That's why Jesus is worthy of our worship. And I could go on and on. I mean, the list goes on. So at the top of your outline, it says this, that neither Mark nor Matthew in the parallel accounts of this account, names the woman who anointed Jesus, but John tells us that it was Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Mark seemed to especially want to contrast the betrayal of Judas and the other religious leaders with the love and loyalty of Mary. The ugliness of their sin and Judas' sin makes the beauty of Mary's sacrifice even more meaningful. 
Mary is found three times in the gospel accounts and each time she is at Jesus' feet just being with him and listening to him speak. So let's read our passage, follow along in your Bibles as we read Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse one. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him, Judas, money. So Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is God's word. So here's a question I think for all of us as we begin this. Are we just giving God the leftovers? the hand-me-downs? Or are we giving him something that really cost us? You know, I can't think of two lives that could stand in greater contrast than Judas and Mary. Uh, Look at verse nine. Of the woman, Mary, Jesus says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. And then look down at verse 21, which we didn't read, but we'll get there eventually. But of Judas, this man, Jesus says, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So the first thing we see about Mary's love and sacrifice, and this is number one on your outline, is that she wanted everyone to know about her love for Jesus. She wasn't afraid to go public with her faith. Uh, Verse one reminds us that they were celebrating the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. This was a time for the country to to give thanks as a country for the miraculous deliverance of the Hebrews out of Egypt that we read about in Exodus chapter two, uh, chapter 12, I mean. Um, This was like the Jewish Independence Day. 
that, that included the, a slaughter of a Passover lamb because it was a blood economy, right? Without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. But, so before Jesus, they would, they would sacrifice animals. They sacrificed on, the day of, on this day, the, this Jewish Independence Day, a Passover lamb. Uh, whose blood on the doorpost 1,400 years before this caused the death angel to pass by those homes that had the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost so that the, the eldest son would not, the firstborn in the family would not die. Uh, and then it says in verse one that the religious leaders were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Uh, but, but not during the festival, they said in verse two, or the people may riot. So Jesus was popular and his enemies were not stupid and they knew that if they were gonna do it with all these people in Jerusalem, they could have a lot of problems on their hands and so they choose not to do it then. Um, but, and they thought they were coming up with their own timetable. But let me tell you something, we all work on God's timetable, not on our own. God's timing is always perfect. And so these scribes, these Pharisees, these religious leaders thought they had the right time, but they were subject to God's timing. And now in verse three, the, sh the scene shifts to Bethany. Um, while he was in Bethany, just a little ways from Jerusalem, in the home of Simon the leper. You know, he had to be over his leprosy. Jesus had to have healed him of his leprosy. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone to the house. You think COVID is bad and would have kept them away. Leprosy was really bad. They would have been wearing masks if they could have been, probably even with, but, but he had been healed of his leprosy. And you know, isn't it always the, the kind of the worst nicknames that stick with us? Um, you know, I, I was uh, two weeks, I was born two weeks late uh, according to man's timetable. I think I was right on God's timetable. But forever, my family on my dad's side of the family called me Pokey. I was not Kenny, I was Pokey. Um, and when I, it, it wasn't until I was 18 that one of my aunts said, do you want me to call you Kenny or do you want me to call you Pokey? And I was like, man, we've had Pokey for 18 years. I might even miss it. So yeah, you can call me Pokey. But it's the worst kind of nicknames that stick with us. Um, Simon the leper, that, that nickname stuck with him. So uh, th then look at, at, at verse three. As Jesus is reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So nard was a sweet smelling perfume from a rare plant that was only found in India. And so uh, the smell Think about this, would have filled the entire room. This was not a cheap perfume. This was a very expensive perfume. You know, Mary could obviously not care at all about cultural conventions because the only time a woman should have gone up to Jesus is if she was serving him food or wanted help in some way, but not just to go up and, and do this. But she deeply loved Jesus. She would do anything for him. And she wanted everyone to know the very high value that she placed on Jesus. She wanted to broadcast it to everyone. No one could deny, no one could doubt her loyalty. And so, can the same be said for you? 
Are you willing to go public with your faith? Are you willing to let others know that you're a Christian? We think, you know, I don't, I don't want to get rejected by my friends. I don't want them to feel like I'm pushing religion on them. But are you willing to be bold? And, and yeah, we don't cast our, our, our jewels before swine. We don't do that. But we're sensitive to the situation. But are, are, do we ever talk about our faith? Do we ever speak up and let other people know that we're a Christian? That we have hope, that our hope is in Christ? Like Mary, Mary gives us such a good example for that. Where's your loyalty? The second thing we see here is about, about Mary's love and sacrifice is that, and this is number two, is that acts of love will often be criticized. Acts of love will often be criticized. Look at verse four. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. According to John's account, these harsh critics were led by Judas and they questioned her motives and, and her, of her actions. And, and they say some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? And you know, it's like Judas with his calculator in hand was the man who knew how much the price of everything, and the value of nothing. And he says, this is a year's wages. So think about that. What's an average year's wage across the Middle East even today? It was probably something like in in today's value, somewhere around $50,000 for this one jar of perfume. That's That's an expensive jar of perfume. And so while she's worshiping Jesus, they let her know their anger. And and when it says that they're rebuking her harshly in verse five, it literally in the Greek is the idea of of horses snorting their indignation. And that had to be humiliating for Mary. They were angry. Well, a couple things we need to notice here. The disciples not only were degrading Mary for her offering, but they were also degrading Jesus. They were saying he's not worth this sacrifice. Another thing to notice is that some of them were were willing, some people I think are, are willing to be poor in possessions, like Mary, in order to be rich in their devotion to Jesus. And others aren't. And those are the critics, often, and then finally, the world, and sadly, many, I think, in the, the universal church will never have a problem with moderate, measured devotion to Christ. But they don't want to ever be seen as radical. They don't ever want to be seen as going all in. So many people have one foot in the world and another, and they try to keep another foot in, in, in with God, but I, I like what William Barclay said. He said, either your discipleship, either this, your secrecy will destroy your discipleship or your discipleship will destroy your secrecy. So are you a disciple of Jesus? The call is not to be moderate in our, in our love for Jesus. Our call is to be radical in our love for Jesus. There's no problem with too many possessions for a lot of people on one hand, but you know, to give up a real career, you'll be called foolish to go and, and live for, to share the gospel in another culture. 
I think I've spoken to all of our missionaries who at one time or another have had friends of theirs, family members who aren't Christians come up and say, why would you waste your life going to that group of people when you could stay here and make a nice living for your family? Why would you purposefully leave this country? And they look at them as being foolish. And they call it a wasted life. You're you're too radical. You're too imbalanced. You need to have professional counseling. What Jesus is after for not just our missionaries, but for all of us is our lives. He wants our hearts to be sold out for him. And, and, And what do we do? How do we do that? I love the way one paraphrase puts it in Romans chapter 12. So says, so Paul's writing and says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. We need to be thinking Christians. We need to filter our thoughts through the word of God. Not the word of God through our thoughts. The final authority in our life is God's word. And that means we need to adjust our thinking to be in line with God's word. Not adjust God's word to be in line with our thinking. And then Paul ends in this paraphrase by saying, fix your attention on God. That's how we live a life of sacrifice that's pleasing to God. Our sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life placed before God as an offering. And so we work our job as we're working it to the Lord because it's, it's the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, that we want to please. We live in our neighborhoods. We live at our retirement. We do everything we do for the glory of God. Whether we eat, whether we drink, whether we're working, whether we're playing, we do it all for the glory of God. Paul says it like this in, in, in Galatians 1. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And so we might be criticized here, but we have one who applauds us in heaven for living for him, for being radical for him. George Whitefield, the evangelist of the first great awakening in America, great revival that swept across the country, said, oh, for a thousand lives to be spent in service for Christ. But you only have one. You have one life to be, to be lived for him. And so we're, we're not promised tomorrow. Yesterday's gone. You have today to live for him. The third thing that we realize about love and sacrifice is that extravagant acts of love will be remembered. Think of the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen sees the Lord standing at the right hand of God and Jesus receives Stephen into glory. And in verses six to nine, Jesus, in essence, is receiving another faithful servant. 
by what he says here, this woman who showered him with love only to be ridiculed by those who should have known better about Jesus. In verse six, Jesus says to leave her alone. Don't give her a hard time. She's done something very unique and special. And so we ask this question on the outline. Why did Jesus call what she did beautiful? You know what? I was thinking about that for me. And, and I want what I do to be beautiful for God. Which is, and I want, I want that to be every sermon I preach. I want that to be every conversation I have. <clears throat> every counseling appointment, whatever it is. I want to do it for the glory. I want to do it to offer to the Lord as a beautiful offering. I know that all of the staff feels the same way. They want everything they do to be for the glory of God. They want it to be a, a beautiful gift offering that we give to God. And shouldn't that be the way we all live our lives? That we live our lives and we offer our, our workday to God. We offer our relationship with our neighbors to God. We offer our relationship with our family to God. We say, God, help me to be a, a, a godly husband. Help me to be a godly wife. Help me to be a godly grandparent. Whatever it is, we offer it back to God. Well, Jesus was aware of her loving motive. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if we have the greatest of gifts, if we sacrifice all but do not have love, it comes to nothing. Nothing. And so God loves uh, these sacrifices, but he's looking at our hearts. He wants a pure motive from him. Are our motives gonna be pure? Not always but we keep striving to have pure motives before God. You want your gift to be pleasing to God? Love makes our gifts pleasing to God. You know, when we lived in, in Wheaton, Illinois, our pastor was uh, Kent Hughes, Kent and his wife, Barbara. Still dear friends. Um, <clears throat> they have four children, four adult children who love the Lord um, and a lot of grandchildren. But Barbara won one time this really beautifully hand-painted, it was made out of cardboard, uh, recipe box. And it motivated her to take a drawer full of recipes and rewrite them out real neatly on, on uh, cards and, <clears throat> and uh, put them in this recipe box. And uh, her, her, uh, her son Kent, the youngest, who was about six years old at the time, was watching with big eyes, his mom spending all this time in this beautiful recipe box. And Barbara's birthday came around, some friends came and took her out for her birthday. And she came home and was around the house for a while and noticed that her recipe box was gone. And she was about ready to ask her uh, son Kent if he had seen it, when she saw Kent walk around the corner with his hands behind his back and water dripping from, the, from behind his back. And, uh, and said, Mom, look what I made for you for your birthday. And then showed the box, all the beautiful decorations wiped off of it, all the recipes thrown out, just in time, by the way, for the garbage to be taken away. And, <clears throat> and she said, why, well, thank you, Kent, as she was dying inside. And she said, and, and Kent said, you know, Mom, I wanted to give you this because I know how much you love this recipe box. And so he had put uh, aluminum foil on the inside of it. And inside he had a black 
plastic alligator and a nickel and his picture from school. And that's what he gave his mom as this, as this offering for her birthday. And um, Kent said later that if, if there was a fire in the house, uh, that Barbara would first grab that little box, which she still has, um, and, and then she would grab all the photos of the family. Because she knew that that box, and she treasures that box, because it was given with a heart of love. And, and that's, the, that's the way Mary gave this alabaster jar full of perfume offering to Jesus. It was out of a heart of absolute love. And the motive behind the gift was pure, innocent love for Mary, just like it was for little Kent. And you have this on your outline, those things done from simple, real love for Christ become his treasure. And so what treasures are you offering to God? He wants us to give our lives. He wants our hearts. On the other hand, things done without love are futile. Mary's gift, though, came from a beautiful heart. That's why it was a beautiful gift. And then look at verse seven. Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. And the issue here isn't about uh, doing good for the poor. Of course we should do good for the poor. The issue is really between the words always, the poor you will always have with you, and the words not always. You will not always have me. And the opportunity to show Jesus the kind of love Mary did would be gone very soon. He was gonna be on the cross in just a couple of days. What Jesus is, is doing here, I think, is asserting his superiority over everything. Like Paul writes in Colossians 1, it's on your outline, Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. You know, if any other human had said verse seven about themselves, it would be absolute blasphemy, but not coming from the lips of God the Son. Why? Because for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich, rich in the kingdom of God. And so in other words, we have to keep our priorities straight. This is on your outline. Yes, we care for the poor, but we worship the Savior. We care for the poor and we worship the Savior. And Jesus, I think, makes some important observations here about Mary. Look at verse eight. She did what she could. Man, I invite you to underline that in your Bibles. She did what she could. She held nothing back. You know what I think? I think a lot of us get caught up by what we would someday like to do for the Lord, but we never get to it. We never do it. So just do what you can. You can't do everything, but you can do something. And so do something from a heart of, 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 from a heart of love. He'll accept that as a wonderful, beautiful offering. And so do what you can. That's what Mary did. She did what she could. And then the rest of verse eight, she poured perfume on my, on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Her act of love was a foreshadowing of what was to come. 
Did she fully understand that what she was doing was symbolic of Jesus' passion? It was right around the corner? I, I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know. Did she get it more than the disciples got it? I think you could argue that she did. And then look at verse nine. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus makes the promise that that her sacrifice of extravagant love will never be forgotten as the gospel advances throughout the whole world. And the fact that we're talking about this morning, I guess, is proof of what Jesus said. We're remembering it. You know, think of the smell of that perfume in the room. A small room that would have filled the room. Philip Keller kind of gives a perspective that I'd never thought of about this. He writes this, the delicious fragrance ran down over his shining hair and thick beard. It enfolded his body and with its, del- uh, with its delightful aroma. Even his tunic and flowing undergarment were drenched with its enduring pungency. Wherever he moved during the ensuing 48 hours, the perfume would go with him into the Passover into the garden of Gethsemane, into the high priest's home, into Herod's hall, into Pilate's praetorium, into the crude hands of those who cast lots for his clothing at the foot of the cross. And then the last thing we understand about love and sacrifice, number four, is that Mary found Jesus beautiful and gave all she had to him. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. You see, some people like Judas found Jesus useful because of what they thought they could get from him. And other people like Mary found Jesus beautiful because she got him. And so you've got this on your outline. Acts of love will be contrasted with acts of betrayal. In contrast to Mary, Judas found Jesus useful and sought to get all he could in exchange for him. Judas was so close to Jesus, how could he miss who Jesus really was? And you know what? That kind of scares me for the church today. For, for all of us, for, for everyone in the church, that we get so wrapped up in serving the Lord that we forget the Lord. It can happen with preaching. It can happen with anything. We get so wrapped up in serving God that we forget to sit at his feet like Mary and worship him. So when was the last time you just sat at Jesus' feet unhurried and just worshiped him and loved him and maybe symbolically poured that oil over his head and wiped up, wiped it up with her, with, like, like Mary did with her hair. Just, it was so beautiful. And verse 11 says, the chief priests and the scribes were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. 
you know, the 30 pieces of silver that they paid Judas. One commentator said the value of a slave accidentally gored to death by an ox in Exodus 21, 32 was 30 coins, 30 silver coins. That Jesus is lightly esteemed is reflected not only in his betrayal, but in the low sum agreed on by Judas and the chief priest. And I don't know about you, but and I, I long to have a heart like Mary that just sees Jesus as beautiful and worships him for, for who he is. And now we're not always gonna do it with a pure, perfect motive. But we live uh, our lives in a posture of worship. And, and if you're listening to me, I, I'm guessing that's your desire as well to live a life of worship before God. Sometimes though we look in the mirror, it's not what we see. You know, we're sinners and so we confess our sin and we, we, we live in God's forgiveness and we, and we keep moving forward. It's only Jesus that can heal a sin-sick soul. So what should be our response? I think it should be the same as Mary's response. To keep our eyes on Jesus. To, to be single-minded in our love for him so that everything else is, is counted as loss. It, to have a love that, that does not ask how little we can get by with, but a love, a, a love that's not worried about what other people think. A love that's not concerned about n- what normal worship is, but a love that's willing to be extravagant. You know, if, if, if Mary could be here today, if we could interview Mary, and she was aware of, of modern day worship and she knew all the hymns and, and we were to ask Mary, Mary, what's your favorite hymn? You know what I think she would choose? I think she would choose uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Actually, Charles Wesley, who wrote more than, Isaac Watts is the one who wrote When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns And he said, I would sacrifice all of them if I could have written when I survey the wondrous cross. So we're not gonna sing it, but I'm gonna read it to you. Just listen to the words, meditate on them. Let Let them minister to your heart. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ, my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love 
so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this phenomenal example we have of Mary who just sat at your feet and gave you her all. Help us to remember, Lord, that you are worthy. Lord, keep us from a measured devotion. Help us to be radical in our commitment to you. We know you want all of us. You want our hearts. You want our lives. Our prayer is that we would do whatever we do for your pleasure and your glory alone. And Lord, we want to see you as beautiful. Lord, we can't do everything, but we can all do something. And so like Mary, help us to do what we can. And we pray this now in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And now may the God of peace equip you with all you need for doing God's will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.